From Washington, this is the Macrocast, a podcast brought to you by Penta and Markets Policy Partners. Good morning. It's Friday, December 9th. You're listening to the Macrocast. I'm Matt McDonald, president of Penta, joined as always by John Fagan and Brendan Walsh from Markets Policy Partners. And this week, we're also joined by uh, John Dick, CEO of Civic Science, uh, to talk a little bit of the uh, retail shopping highlights holiday season. Um, John, what's going on? What are you seeing in that? We we had our ESI release um, kind of checking on consumer sentiment, but but what's going on out there in the, the real economy? Yeah, I mean, where to start, right? I, well, first of all, the economic our economic sentiment index, this number this week, uh, frankly surprised. I mean, the, the, the steepness of the acceleration of positive sentiment from consumers, um, I think surprised all of us a little. Um, it was the steepest two-week climb we've seen since July. Um, we're, we're well above, uh, in fact, I, the ESI is, right now at the highest we've seen it overall since about April, um, which is generally a really positive sign about how consumers are feeling today. Um, the one sort of um, outlier among, so personal finances, people were more optimistic, um, major purchases, certainly the job market, of course, is still sort of a highlight. The one the one negative number was uh, consumer sort of longer term outlook for the economy, optimism for the U.S. economy six months and out. Um, it's hard to know how much of that's real and how much of it's just because they read the headlines that we all read, right? And they're sort of being told to believe things are going to be bad, which sort of misaligns kind of reality with expectations. But, you know, where where the rubber hits the road in, in spending, um, people are just continue to be remarkably resilient. I mean, Black Friday numbers um, definitely surprised on the upside. Um, a lot of that was driven by um, Gen Z, believe it or not, actually get it. My, my daughter was like sort of a statistic on this. Like she and 10 of her friends got up at five o'clock in the morning on Friday after Thanksgiving and went store hopping. Like it was so retro. It was, and, and there were a lot of signs that that was going to happen because I think younger people in particular are like, still sort of starving for that kind of social experience. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, the numbers were strong, you know, and people are, and, and, and I think what's, what's even um, what, what I think makes those numbers even better and more surprising is, is, you know, we tend to look at um, Black Friday and sort of, and, and, and Cyber Monday, which also did pretty well. Um, we look at the sort of year, year over year comps of those things, which were up, but what was unusual um, and I, and I know we throw the word unprecedented around a lot is that doesn't take into account how much earlier people shopped this year. You know, we're seeing that every year now. People, I mean, people started holiday shopping in June and July when Amazon had its first sort of Prime Days events. And so um, we're not only spreading out uh, holiday retail spending over a longer, you know, longer period, but we still had, even with that, we had a really surprising, um, really surprising uh, returns on, on Black Friday. So Look, not that there aren't signs of headwinds. Of course, when when we talk more about the economy and sort of your guys' areas of expertise, there's obviously lots of reasons to be pessimistic. But it's it's just not landing with the consumers just yet, at least not in the form of spending. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, job markets holding up as well, pretty robustly. And even though it, you you see kind of anecdotal headlines around um, uh, CEO sentiment, companies cutting jobs. That's not what the aggregate says. It's you know, on the job side, it's kind of a there's this good news, bad news story of like the, you know, obviously the, we don't want a recession, but the Fed also wants things to cool off. John or Brendan, how, when you think about the retail side of stuff, what is the Fed looking at in, in like the kind of uh, holiday shopping season numbers? So like, do do they want a dial down on that or 
or no. I mean, it's not it's not exactly the same as kind of like wage inflation and that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I would assume that they, you know, they've said that they want to essentially face speakers have said they want to cool demand. And uh, and so, you know, they they're John, they they don't want your daughter and her, uh, her friends going to the mall. They, they want them to stay home uh, in a darkened room and listen to depressing music, <laughs> <laughs> drink tap water. And uh, yeah, it's uh, a well, Merry Christmas, a everybody. Well, I wasn't thrilled. I wasn't thrilled about the debit card bill myself, to be honest. With you. <laughs> no, it's pretty explicit. The Fed is very much, you know, in, in Fed speak uh, as as plainly as they can say it. They want shoppers to on the margin uh, spend less, stay home uh, and dial back demand. That's the path they see to uh, to to suppressing inflation. Uh, which, uh, you know, we got a higher than expected uh, producer price index reading this morning. So it's not a smooth ride to low inflation by any stretch of the imagination. The Fed keeps saying they're going to do more. Yeah. And we've got retail sales coming out next week. We've got a a gauntlet on the macro side next week. And that's one of the data points. And uh, markets have been very reactive uh, to these uh, because of the assumption that higher numbers, even small upside surprises, uh, give the Fed the excuse to keep, you know, to keep tightening the screws. Look, I will I will add, though, I mean, just to balance my 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 take on it, we are definitely seeing an uptick in credit card usage. Um, uh, the percentage of consumers who say they expect to take on some form of debt to cover holiday gift costs this year is up to 11 percent, which isn't a huge number, but it's up from nine percent in 2019. I mean, t- throw 20 and 21 out out of the you know, out of the mix. But so we are just we are seeing an uptick in that. We're seeing an acceleration in the use of buy now, pay later, um, t- you know, tools. So so there's certainly um, but but again, also, that's also being dr- driven primarily by younger consumers, um, where I say in 2019, more of that debt was like parents and up. This one tends to be younger, uh, younger people. So um, there's, again, certainly signs that um, things aren't as great as they were a year ago, but um, it's not as dramatic as I think a lot of people would have expected. Brendan, did you want to touch on the bank conference this week? Yeah, so uh, Goldman Sachs held there. It's the last one of the the year, um, and you know all the all the big uh, names go down to uh, go down to the tip of uh, Manhattan and uh, discuss. And um, <clears throat> it, it was it was somewhat mixed message, but I, I would say um, overall the the message was kind of. Uh, the bank CEOs are, are concerned about 2023. The, things are, are the, the consumers holding up uh, pretty fine, but I think there's a concern that the Fed uh, is over tightening, and that we're going. There's a chance that we. I mean, the, the best case scenario is you know growth slows, inflation slows, and and we have muted growth. Uh, but I think that the odds of um, us having a, an actual recession, if not a deep one, are going up, and and bank CEOs are expressing that concern. Do you think that's reflected in the market perception? It certainly is in the bond market. <laughs> Basically, every every uh, measure of our <clears throat> our yield curves are inverted, and they have been for a while, and they're getting even more so. And we we, we saw this week um, in a, a risk off scenario, you know, bond yields keep keep going lower. Bonds are rallying. People are buying more uh, bonds, which drives the price up, which, which drives the yields down. Ironically, I think if if the Fed really wants to raise rates, the the best thing they could do would be to pause. Plus their rates uh, hikes. The, the market is telling them that they, they're over tightening and uh, misreading the inflation scenario. Actually, the 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 
that CPI-linked bonds for one year out now are uh, trading at 1.99%. So the market is telling the Fed that in a year, we think that inflation is going to be below 2%. Um, the equity market is just kind of in no man's land a little bit. You know, Some days it goes up, some days it goes down. And I think it's waiting for more clarity um, to uh, on, on the, the macro picture before we... Uh, we have consensus on what 2023 earnings are going to look like because th though that delta can be massive uh, if we go into recession it's going to uh, consensus earnings way too high if we miss it consensus earnings might be uh, too low yeah it's i mean the timing exercise on all of this stuff is pretty fascinating because you know john you were talking about consumer sentiment over like the 6 year plus 6 month plus time horizon and even with the forecast i feel like i feel like we've been in this um perpetual loop where the economists have been saying, oh, we're forecasting a recession in a year, and it always is a year away. <laughs> it's always a year away, no matter how closer you get to that date. I think if you ask the layperson consumer, uh, that th look, when we ask you, when we ask sort of the average person their outlook for the long-term economy, these aren't economists we're talking to, right? This right. is just, you know, av the average person. Um, and, and you keep hearing this sort of it's going to come, it's going to come. There, there's sort of like signs of this mindset with the consumer of like, OK, let's just get it over with then. Right. Like if it's going to happen, like let's just let's just do it. Let's ride it out. Let's get on the other side of it because we're sick of hearing about it. And it's yeah. making us question what things that we're otherwise generally pretty happy about. You know, um, it's, in, it's interesting psychology for the consumer. Yeah. So the psychology of anticipating bad events is usually way worse than the actual event itself. <laughs> you don't want to sit around contemplating a bad thing. You just want to take your medicine and be done. Hmm. You guys, right, let's take a let's take a short break. Um, when we come back, we'll, we'll continue the conversation, touch a little bit on 2023 and the and uh, and the and where oil prices are as well. You're listening to the MacroCast. On the first Friday of every month, Penta analyzes the latest jobs and labor market data in a digestible format. Sign up for our reports at pentagroup.co or on Twitter at PentaGRP. All right, we're back with the MacroCast. We're talking a little bit about expectations for 2023. John, I, I cut you off before the break. What, what were you going to chime in with there? Yeah, I wanted to follow up on the point you made about sort of ex the psychology of expectations. And this is this is just me as a listener to your podcast, pretty much asking this question is like, how much of that the the people the prognosticators and or sort of the you know the the Jamie Diamonds of the world, the sort of like the thought leaders in this space, how much are they incentivized to over ring the alarm bells such that you know they're kind of under promising over delivering on outcomes so that we sort of set expectations more negatively and the you know at least the perception of a soft landing is more real i mean my you know john and brendan jump in here but like my take on this stuff is that you're it's like a you know the fed in particular and the markets but then leaders companies all of this it's like I mean, this is a part of the problem with inflation and stuff is that you're you're in you you're in this like double kabuki theater where like, you know, one group is like pretending to be one thing and then the other group is trying to figure out whether they really mean it or do they not mean it. And then it's it's this interaction because you're kind of like, you know, for to to take the Fed and the markets as one example is that. You know, everybody wants the same goal. Everybody wants to land the plane at this at cleanly at the same time. And it's this dual, the Fed can't do it without paying attention to what the markets think. And the markets are going to respond 
to what the Fed is doing, but also what they think the Fed is really going to do because they know it's like the uh, it's like that scene in Princess Bride where they're talking about the poison. And it's like, you know, the markets are saying to the Fed, but I know that you know that I know that you're not really going to do whatever. Right. And you kind of get just spiral down this this uh, cave of interactions that doesn't that it's hard to it's hard to parse this stuff out, right? It's not, I mean, the other example that's obviously highly relevant in recent memory for us is the communications around COVID and the pandemic. It's like, you know, we I would say that the health apparatus had some had some had communications that were trying to get to that weren't necessarily direct or on point in terms of what the reality was that were trying to elicit behaviors. But then you start this cycle of like, okay, but you're saying that because you want me to do X. And I know that you're saying that because you want me to do X. And I think that this is the real thing. And you kind of get into this like shadow boxing of communications. That's obviously in some ways uh, unavoidable, but also, you know, problematic and, and is, does not end up direct. And by the way, in all this stuff, there is some sort of reality out there of what will work and what will will not work, but nobody knows what that is. Yeah. And, and to your point on communications, and to John's point and how this affects the consumer, I think the media plays a role in it. You know, it, we, it's a very competitive landscape, and you're going to get a lot more clicks or people to watch your show if you're talking about ramp inflation or, or a recession than if the headline is "eh, things are okay." <laughs> yeah, and like the bank CEOs when they talk about the outlook, you know, there's always this. You know, things are as as to your point, John. There's always that sort of innate conservatism, but you know, a uh, a run to the middle of the distribution of potential outcomes. They don't talk a whole lot about you know the, the Jamie Dimon is maybe a bit of an outlier in this. You know, we're heading into a hurricane. Some of this relatively flowery language that he'll uh, he'll trot out. Uh, but, you know, for the most part, they don't want to talk down, you know, the confidence of their customers. And there's always this balance of, you know, things look pretty grim out there, but we're doing great. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. that's <laughs> that's kind of a mantra. I was I, I was at an event with Brian Moynihan and he was saying that he, this was this was kind of the line was like our economists are seeing a, a recession sometime in 2023. But from what we see in our data, the consumers are holding up really well. That was yeah. <laughs> that's the party line. Um, we work with a lot of retailers and I'm in these rooms a lot right now where they're looking at their numbers today and they're, you know, they're, they're, they're pessimistic to sort of, you know, lamenting where things are. But when you step back and say, look, you're comparing yourself to incredibly unreasonable, irrational comps of the last year or two. And we, and we, we sort of normalize that for what things look like in 2019. This is just a correction that they're seeing, you know, it's not they're not if 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 we hadn't had covid and all of the things that oh who knows what else could have happened but had we not had that massive disruption pretty much most of what we're seeing in retail is exactly what you would have expected linear growth to be from 2019 to 2022 but they and and I, and I sort of get exasperated when I talk to these people about like didn't you realize over the last year or two that this was really irrational this there's nothing normal or new normal about this to like sort of raise the bar of what your year over year comps were going to be against that was silly and they're like yeah, I guess, <laughs> you know, but, but there, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot more, um, a lot of what's happening right now feels very rational, but we're comparing it to times that weren't. And, and, you know, and like Brendan says, it's, you know, the, the sensational headlines are going to drive the clicks. And so there's a lot more of that out there than, Hey, this is pretty normal. 
we so we've been we've we've uh, been talking about 2023. Where where are the forecasts for 2023? What is it? Are we still at like oh we're expecting recession sometime mid year? Is that the consensus now? I think that's fair to say. Uh, I think that the consensus is a mild and short recession. Uh, and you know, economists aren't uh, they don't have a they don't have a stellar track record at predicting recessions. Uh, it's uh, they're they're usually wide of the mark uh, in one way, shape, or form. So uh, so the fact that this is relatively solid consensus means that you can cross shallow mild recession off the list. <laughs> no, just I don't want to be mean to economists, um, but uh, when you have a science that uh, doesn't allow experiments, ah, oh, just kidding. Anyway, um, the uh, yeah, the reality is, uh, you know, again, this is an example of sort of the the concern, innate conservatism, they go toward those uh, middle distribution kind of outcomes, uh, short, uh, it's it's non-controversial to say short and uh, and mild recession. It's certainly in keeping with the, the yield curve is is telling you that uh, that is at least the case. Uh, and uh, and plenty of other things are, are aligned with, we'll talk a little bit more about oil prices kind of uh, being another, uh, another piece of the mosaic uh, in this, uh, in this. Um, Let's in this do it. Picture. Let's talk about oil prices. Yeah, well, it is, you know, I think when you look back and and uh, look back at the spring, it was like Brent crude was knocking on the door of one hundred and fifty dollars a barrel. That is a, you know, historic level highs, very, you know, witheringly expensive gasoline prices. And uh, and the White House took a beating over it. It was, you know, resorting to releases from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, olive branches to Venezuela. I mean, this was a, uh, you know, all hands on deck, but there's not that much you can do, of course. And now flash forward to today and boy, Brent crude this morning is around $76 a barrel, like cut in half. And, uh, you know, it did that while OPEC, you know, early in October slashed their production numbers to try to support, to try to support prices. And, uh, and this is, you know, and this is happening when China is trying to reopen from COVID. And uh, this is a and this is this is there's definitely like some positioning aspect in this. The you know, the oil bulls got really over their skis. This, you know, oil prices were going to be supported forever and uh, and keep going higher. But boy, you know, this is uh, it's fantastic for that. This is what the Fed wants to see. This is what the Biden administration wants to see. This is what consumers want to see. And but, you know, from you know, the financial market perspective, it's it the you know, the the sort of darker message is this is consistent with a really steep potentially, you know, decline in the in the coming growth outlook here, uh, despite some of the, you know, the pockets and, you know, a lot of the resilience that we're seeing and the potential reopening of China. Yeah, it's an interesting indicator to watch of of what's ahead. I mean, we've had, as you said, during the spring when uh, oil was really spiking, we had lots of conversations around how that impacts, you know, so many parts of the economy and just kind of flows through on prices that gets passed on and helps the inflation cycle. So one less problem. I mean, the supply chains also have their healing. Uh, you know, the China opening, closing, opening, closing, notwithstanding supply chains are certainly seem to be healing as well. Yeah. And, you know, this is kind of the 
the from a trader perspective, oil and energy have been, you know, where you hid all year. This is where you got your your, you know, your downside protection. You felt like you were getting, you know, uh, you got so you generated some real upside. The energy sector, while the S and P five hundred is down, the S the the energy sector had been up double digits on the year, and oil prices had really held up. And you felt like, you know, OPEC had your back, and Russia was still weaponizing energy, <laughs> and uh, that's not changing. So uh, this. But, you know, there's a there's a capitulation point. And uh, the rumors this week were that big hedge fund Bridgewater was liquidating their oil positions. And we saw yesterday the news that uh, the Keystone Pipeline had closed down and you get this kind of dynamic where oil prices shoot up and then the sellers come in and uh, it basically looks like every rally just gets gets sold. It's a very bearish dynamic. It's not what people expected. And, you know, the Biden administration said they were going to start refilling the strategic petroleum reserve under eighty dollars barrel. Here we are. Huh. Yeah, maybe it's maybe it's time. Um, let's see what uh, it, we have. It is. It, we're sitting here on uh, December 9th. We've just got kind of a couple weeks before people start disappearing for the holiday break in the new year. Um. But next week has some action. Brendan, what what have we got around the corner? So on the data front, uh, we get the consumer price index uh, and retail sales. Uh, We also get the global uh, PMIs. Um, S&P does them all for all the major uh, countries in the world. Uh, But the big event uh, on Wednesday, the Fed uh, will have their final uh, meeting uh, of the year. They're expected to raise 50 basis points. and. I think that's baking the cake. The the question will be the the forward looking messages where the the market now is pricing in them to then drop to to 25 and maybe only be able to do uh, one or two uh, next year. And more importantly, the the market is pricing in uh, Fed cuts in the the second half of the year, which the the Fed obviously is not giving that guidance. (laughs) Yeah, so it'll be it'll be a big, uh, big week. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch all the messaging around uh, around all of that stuff. And it does feel like the Fed is, um, you know, if they still want the soft landing, it feels like interest rates are trending towards the spot where they, they have to taper off the raises if that's what they're actually going to, if that's how it's going to end up. Exactly. All right. Well, that's it for us this week. Thank you for listening to the Macrocast. Uh, thank you to John. Thank you to John. Thank you to Brendan. I'm Matt McDonald with Penta. Have a great weekend, everybody. Happy holidays. Thank you for listening to the Macrocast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and share. 